Welcome to Wadcast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. On January 28th, a woman was not allowed to board a United Airlines flight from Newark to Los Angeles with her emotional support peacock named Dexter. According to an article in USA Today, the number of comfort animals flying on United jumped from 43,000 in 2016 to 76,000 last year, prompting an avalanche of complaints from passengers. As a result, United and other airlines have changed their policies. Beginning just a few days ago, on March 1st, United will require additional documentation for customers traveling with an emotional support animal or a psychiatric service animal. In addition to providing a letter from a licensed medical mental health professionals, customers will need to provide a veterinary health form documenting the health and vaccination records for the animal, as well as confirming that the animal has been trained to behave properly in a public setting. Other airlines whose experiences have been similar to United's are also updating their policies. Federal law allows landlords, airlines, or other businesses to ask only two questions about a support or service animal. One, is the animal required because of a disability? And two, what work or task has the dog been trained to perform? That certainly leaves a lot open to conjecture, and unfortunately, many animal owners are gaming the system in order to save money, either to avoid paying a pet fee when renting an apartment or paying extra when flying with the pet. What's getting lost in all of this is that many people who need service and emotional support animals, primarily our veterans, are running into discrimination. We're going to talk with Shannon Walker, who heads up Northwest Battle Buddies, a nonprofit that provides free service dogs for veterans with PTS. Shannon, thanks so much for being with us here today. Oh, thank you very much for having me on your show. So let's begin by getting some definitions. Can you define for us service animals and emotional support animals? Are the terms separate or interchangeable? Oh, they absolutely are separate. Unfortunately, right now with what's happening in the industry, you know, they're being labeled comfort animals. A lot of times people speak of them about that. And, you know, people don't understand what the differences are and they think they're all the same and they're completely separate. And the fact that a service animal, a dog that has been professionally trained to task for symptoms or disabilities or symptoms of disabilities, that dog is actually trained to task to help alleviate the disability. So to offer freedom and independence to the person who that dog is serving. And aside from that, a service dog is allowed access to places no other dogs are allowed, um, except for a sterile environment. And that's one of the significant differences, whereas an emotional support animal is designed to alleviate and make somebody feel more comfortable in their emotions and just be a, a truly just a comfort animal. And that's maybe for their home. But, it, but those dogs are not allowed access. So often now you see dogs out in public and people say, well, this is my emotional support dog. Well, the dog shouldn't be in public. Mm-hmm. You know, it, aside from airplanes, airplanes are the exception to that because mm-hmm. that's like a big bus. And so people are taking emotional support dogs on an airplane. But it is very, very different, very significant. And the rights that those dogs carry under those titles is very different from each other. So what are some of the public places where emotional support animals turn up where they should not be and service dogs would be allowed? Well, emotional 
emotional support animals are allowed on a bus. And then sometimes it's like apartments um, or even possibly hotels, but especially apartments or living conditions where if they say there's no pets, if you have a doctor's note stating you need the emotional support animal, then it trumps the fact that they're saying you can't have a dog. And so they would be allowed to have an emotional support animal there, but that's it. They are not allowed access into public places that, um, the normal pet is not allowed to go. Emotional support animals cannot go in general with the exceptions I already just said. Service dogs can go anywhere except a sterile environment. Um, they have to be allowed to follow their handler and be there to accompany their handler as they navigate life and, and do their best to live without the limitations of their disability. And so the dog has to be highly trained to task and go into public basically invisible. The dog cannot be a hindrance to the public in any way um, when it's highly trained as a service dog should be. So tell us a little bit about Northwest Battle Buddies. I would be happy to. We here at Northwest Battle Buddies, we provide service dogs to combat veterans who have PTSD. Um, we provide these dogs completely free of charge to our American heroes. They've already paid a price for our freedom, and we want to say thank you in a very significant, life-changing way. Um, and so our dogs go through seven months to a year of training before they ever even meet their handler. And then the veteran that has been qualified to go through our organization, then they'll actually go through six weeks of training, five days a week. Um, and we teach them how to navigate life with their service dog. And upon passing all of the testing and all of this process, then we gift them these dogs. These dogs cost us because they go through seven months to a year of training prior to even meeting their handler. They cost us about $25,000 by the time we gift them to these men and women who absolutely deserve it. And it's just been incredibly life-changing to watch the difference between our veteran prior to meeting, prior to having their service dog and the difference in their life after they've had their service dog. And it's just a humbling, amazing thing to be able to be a part of. And it really is life-changing. It's just, it's incredible. It's just a miracle. It really is what these dogs do for them. Well, explain for us a little bit, Shannon, how a trained service dog can help a veteran with PTSD. Absolutely. You know, we've provided 51 service dogs in the last six years free of charge. And every single one of our our service dogs, number one, they wake their do their veterans up from night terrors. Every single one of our American heroes with PTSD are having night terrors that we have served. And our dogs wake them up from them. And not only do they stop that moment of the nightmare, but they also immediately offer that constant reassurance that they're okay. Not only that, but one of the things that our veterans say the most is once they get paired with their service dog, they feel safer. Hmm. They don't feel as vulnerable because they have their battle buddy with them again. You know, the battle buddy is a term that I learned from veterans. Actually, it was a veteran that came up with the name Northwest Battle Buddies because when you they go into the military, they're assigned a battle buddy and they got your back and you got to have theirs and hmm. you're assigned to that one. And, and so now, you know, we, I had a veteran that was saying, can you imagine going through life with a four-legged battle buddy and then he came up with Northwest Battle Buddies, and every every other title or, or name I came up with apparently was dumb, and, and I loved that one, and it made sense, and it totally is to their heart, because even though they're out of the service, they still have that same code, and when you see the veterans come together, even in our groups when they train together, 
there's a brotherhood that is just, it's an unbelievable thing to be a part of, to be able to watch how they serve each other and having that battle buddy goes to their conditioning, but it offers a tangible security to them. And also the dogs, because of the training that we put the dogs through and the training that the veterans go through and learning how to handle their dogs, it facilitates the relationship to such a degree where the dog is very, very in tune to them. So even as we're going out in public through our training, if a veteran starts to actually have a panic attack, that dog will start to serve them and interrupt that moment and bring them back to the moment of now. So if they start getting lost in a place in their mind back to a trauma, that dog will bring them back right now, either by jumping in their lap, licking their face, nudging them, but doing something to get the attention onto the dog and brings that comfort. And those are just some, just two just very easy examples of how those dogs facilitate to stop those symptoms of PTSD that they're dealing with to help them overcome. And then the other thing is, is that I have found through my experience that watching these men find courage within themselves to go places they don't want to go do things they don't necessarily want to do out in public, but they'll do for their dog what they are not willing to do for themselves. And they put more value on the life of that service dog and the responsibility of caring for that dog than they actually put on the responsibility of maybe the care of their own person, you know? And it's just amazing to watch. It's really, like I said, it's just a miracle, the difference that it makes before and after seeing the difference in their life once they're paired with a service dog, because it really is a lifeline. It's just a lifeline out into public, and it's just, it's just amazing. So, where do these dogs come from, and are there any special breeds? You know, we initially all of our dogs came out of dog shelters. Uh, when I decided to start Northwest Battle Buddies, I went right out and adopted five dogs and started training them. And um, they still do come out of shelters, but now that we've been uh, six years old, now we also have. Uh, uh, serious breeders, quality breeders that will donate back to the organization. And we have puppies that are being raised in puppy raiser homes. And, and once they come of age, they enter the, the training program. And so we have shelter dogs and we have dogs that we're raising and we're actually starting our own breeding program. Um, there is no specific dog necessarily to be used as a service dog, but I will tell you, it doesn't mean that I personally would use all breeds because some dogs just don't fit in public and they're just not conducive. Mm-hmm. You know, I have found, you know, what is best is even though we have some pit bulls and we have German shepherds and we have mixed breeds and we have, uh, we have a St. Bernard, but it's a small St. Bernard. I actually belong to a personal veteran, but, uh, you know, we use a lot of golden retrievers. We use a lot of labs. We use, that's, that's what we have going where our breeding program is concerned. But as long as the dog is young enough, fits in public and is practical and has, you know, and is, has a nice temperament and is healthy, then that's a dog that we can use. And we do. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the application process for a veteran who would like to have a service dog. What, what do they go through? You know, I, I appreciate that question. You know, one of the things is there is a qualification in our, you know, to have a service dog from us. Every, every, man and woman that is signed on the dotted line to say, you know, I will do and go wherever I need to go to be a part of something great and to defend our country. That is so appreciated to by all men and women who have served. Um, we actually, one of our qualifications, though, is you have to be a combat veteran. You have to have an, uh, an honorable discharge. You have to have you know, uh, stable housing, stable income, letters of referral, doctor's note, diagnosed with PTSD. There's quite a list of what we do to qualify because not only do we want to make sure that 
the dog is a good fit for that person, that they can handle having a service dog, they can handle the responsibility um, moving forward, because having a service dog is a great responsibility, and we are responsible to ensure the quality and the quality and life of that dog moving forward, and making sure that the veteran is capable of caring for the dog physically and financially, and that we, that's one of the reasons that even through our training process and certification process with our dogs, the veterans are actually required on a six-month basis after they are um, provided the service dog, once they've finished all the, the training, they come back at six months, and then every year after that, they have to requalify hmm. in order to be able to keep that dog because there's a, there's a long-term accountability that we have, not only to the veteran to say, hey, you're part of our family now, but it's also to the dog because we love these dogs. Mm -hmm. And so there is an application process online that gets the veteran's foot in the door. And once they qualify, they go on our list and then we, we serve them as soon as we can with a highly trained service dog. So Shannon, are there ever veterans who come to you reluctantly, not sure that they need a service dog and ultimately, you know, really sign on to the program? Absolutely. You know, just having a veteran come ask for help in any way, they're reluctant mm -hmm. just to get them to ask for help because they're trained not to ask for help. They're, they're trained to say they're fine. I got this. I'm good. I'm, I, I don't need anything. Right. And then the other thing that I have found is that so many of our veterans that have our dogs felt guilty because they don't want to take something from another brother who may need it more. They'll do without because they want to give to their brother. They care more about their brother mm. um, that served. And so we've had those conversations and I try to encourage them. I'm like, you know what? Be the example. You know, we're fighting a suicide rate amongst our American heroes of 22 veterans a day. And that's why I started this organization. And the fact is, is that they need to know that they need to be an example and, and an example of hope and overcoming and and beating the odds that there is life after PTSD. There are some answers out there. And so some veterans, you know, um, they're not quite sure if they're going to be ready. And we try to vet them to make sure that a service dog is the answer for them. And we provide enough information and encouragement and education through our veterans who are out there. Because not only do our veterans, once they get our dogs, you know, we want them to live a life of freedom and independence and just go live their life and be happy. But so often they come back and we ask them to come back too, but they come back and they support the other veterans that are going through the process. They'll encourage them. They'll tell them about what their experience was. And, you know, and the other thing is, is that when they do actually ask for help, then they are wondering if they can even trust us. So there's all these walls and barriers that we have to get through so we can help them because they're so used to being let down by different organizations in the United States that give a lot of promises and a lot of lip service, but they just don't back it up. Mm -hmm. And we are backing it up. We are going to make sure that every qualified veteran on our list is going to be served with a service dog and that we are going to be there for them. And we are going to give them the excellence that they gave us in their service to our country. And so we want, we take that very, very seriously. And it's something that we are continuing to, to grow and, and do and learn and just make sure that we are making the organization, you know, better all the time by maintaining that standard, but also trying to help to serve our American heroes in a more timely fashion. Right now, the waiting list on our, for our, for our qualified veterans is three years. 
And so we're doing everything we can financially, getting the word out. And I so appreciate the opportunity to speak to you, to let people know we're here. So people who have like minds and hearts that want to be a part of something great and give back to their American heroes and say, thank you for my, thank you for your service. Cause our freedom was not free right. that people can come along and join with us and bring their gifts and talents and help grow the organization, you know, and make it better for American heroes. And that's what we're trying to do on a daily basis. Do you have veterans from all over the country? I know you're located in the, in the Northwest, but do they come from all over the country? Yes, they do. We are absolutely nationwide. We have dogs, even though we are in Washington State, we have dogs in Wyoming and Iowa and Colorado, and we have applications from all over. We have dogs in California. We have dogs in Oregon, um, and I can't even remember all the states, but we are all across the nation, and um, we are working um, diligently. When, when veterans come and stay here for six weeks, and they train with us five days a week, once the dog is completely trained, and now we've paired them with their dog for them to learn how to handle in a professional way and learn about the guidelines, you know, all the rules and the laws of the ADA. So that not only do they know their rights, but they know their responsibilities in having a service dog. Um, but, you know, often we have veterans right now, you know, we have people that will put them up in homes when they come and stay for six weeks. We sometimes there are in hotels, you know, we're just finding ways right now to facilitate them coming from all over the United States and living here with us as a family for six weeks while we prepare them for their service dog. So, Shannon, how are these dogs identified as service dogs? I know I looked around online, and it doesn't require them to wear a vest, but a lot of them do wear vests. Is that something that your organization does do? Oh, absolutely. Not only in the training process, there is a conditioning that happens for the dog when the vest is on the dog is in a different mindset than when the vest is off. I mean, because they still have to be allowed to be what they are as long as they're respectful, even mm -hmm. off, even when they're not working. But the vest signifies to the public, even though the guidelines of the ADA, they do not require that kind of notification. They do not require that type of statement that they have to wear a vest. But we tell our handlers, you always say, I want this dog to be identified as a service dog so people will take you seriously. They also have... Our veterans have a business card that is, or a, an identification card with their photo and the dog's photo that is specifically designed for Northwest Battle Buddies with our information stating this dog has been professionally trained by us. And they also carry their doctor's notes stating that they need those dogs. Now, even though that stuff is not required by the ADA, we require that as an organization to make sure that we set our veterans up for success as they're out there with their service dog. Um, one of the best ways to discuss, you know, honestly, even though there isn't anything specifically written down um, by the ADA that says you have to do with your service dog out in public other than have excellent behavior, I want to set our veterans up for success. So there is no question. I Yes, this is a service dog. I am here. And then if they, the two questions that are allowed to be asked to somebody with a service dog are, is this a service, is this your service dog? And they, if they say yes. And then what is this dog trained to do for you? Those are the only two questions that can be asked. Right. So what we educate our handlers about is, is we tell them how to answer those questions mm -hmm. and anything beyond that, they don't have to answer. And so, um, you know, but again, that is something that we do and there, you can go online and just buy vests. You can go online and buy whatever. And that's one of the problems that we're having where fake service dogs are, are concerned. And I'm not saying they should restrict buying, buying stuff. I'm saying that dogs that, behavior in public need to be held accountable and then that's going to help fix our problem if we would just start kicking out unruly dogs it would help a lot 
Well, now, just to clarify, the ADA is the Americans with Disabilities Act, and those are the um, uh, regulations under that act. But, you know, I did go on the Internet, and there are many sites that sell those vests, and I think that that's really where we are now because there isn't any standard for, uh, you know, identifying the service dogs with some physical uh, with some physical means like a vest or a tag or anything. Um, how does that make it difficult for uh, the veterans who truly need these service dogs? Well, it makes it difficult because right now there, it's become a novelty to have a service dog and to have your pet out in public, whether it's an emotional support dog that people are taking out or that's what they're saying or it's a service dog or whatever it might be. But the fact is, is that it has become a novelty. And I will tell you this, anybody who truly needs a service dog, would rather not need that service dog. It is absolutely inconvenient, no matter how well trained the dog is, to have a dog with you 24 right, seven. But, but the, the benefit of that service dog is so great, they are willing to deal with the inconvenience and they wouldn't change it for the world because the bond is life-changing for them. However, the fact that people can go buy vests and go out in public the way they do, and what happens is, is that the public, because they are not educated necessarily about, or like business owners, are not necessarily educated about the laws in place. So therefore, and they're afraid to be sued. So they don't kick out those unruly dogs, or they don't just because somebody's walking in with a vest. We encounter it every day. We're out in public. We see fake service dogs out there, mm-hmm. and you can tell they're fake because they're walking six feet in front of the handler or the dog is barking at our dog. And in big businesses, if they would just be educated about the law and then have the courage to excuse those people from their business, then people with fake service dogs won't feel so bold to be blatantly against, you know, being a fraud Mm because that's what they are and it it, and what happens is is that it makes the public it makes it harder for somebody who truly needs a service animal um because the public gets such a negative connotation and it's it's just so in their face and not to mention what's been publicized about the person on the airline getting it you know bit in the face and and Mm -hmm. all the things that can happen and it's really i don't like to use the word epidemic because that sounds you know very inflamed but at the same time it is a seriously increasing problem that is affecting people who truly need these service animals and they're just trying to live out their life right without being bothered and without the negative stigma created by the frauds that are out there well we've been talking basically about dogs but there are people trying to get on airplanes with all sorts of animals and i think the most uh you know uh the one that grabbed all the headlines recently was the woman who tried to board in a United flight with a peacock and was denied um, uh, being able to board. But I think that all of that is sort of, you know, uh, the public is complaining about having lots of different animals on the flight, uh, you know, sitting next to them or, you know, uh, acting yeah. out. Uh, and the airlines have responded by coming out with some new rules requiring documentation be before some of these uh, comfort animals are allowed on flights. But, I mean, Shannon, what is your feeling when you see some of this going on with, uh, you know, not just dogs, but all sorts of animals being identified as comfort animals and being taken on airlines or into public places? You know, honestly, because I'm in the industry and we work so hard to have excellence and make sure that our dogs are never, uh, they're, they're never negative, they're, it's never a problem 
um, you don't even notice that they're there. We were in a restaurant one time in Washington, D.C. with seven dogs underneath a table in a super busy restaurant. And nobody even knew they were there until we got up to leave. They were just perfect, quiet. Nobody even knew. We worked so hard to provide the best to our American heroes and to abide by every guideline. And not only that, but to actually establish and set a standard in the United States for what service dogs should be, especially for our veterans with PTSD, that it actually disgusts me. Mm. When I see people abusing the system, because I know what it's doing to, I know, I know what it's doing in the public. I know the negative connotation it's bringing. It just, people are sick of it. And, and the abuse of the, and, and this is the thing, you know, there's so many people out there and they're, they're just they just want their dog with them or they just want their pet with them and they just don't see the harm so they're probably very very good people they just don't realize because they're not in the industry and they don't see the the impact the negative impact that they are creating not to mention the regulations that are coming down that actually are tying the hands and making it more difficult for people who legitimately need these animals you know and so you know it's it's you know what i would like to see is i would like to see businesses and be educated and enforce the laws that are in place. Because if if animals and and dogs, service dog, emotional support dog, whatever it was, depending on if it's an airplane or if it's an actual service dog out in public or a fake service dog out in public, if they would just make those, a, kick them out, make them leave, deny them access, right. then I think that it's not going to be the answer to everything, but it would definitely I think cut down on a large percentage of, of the fraud that is out there um, be, because it really is aggravating. It, it's uh, I have to bite my tongue. I have to not go confront that person unless honestly, there's been times where we've been in public where that dog that is lunging on the end of the leash to attack our dogs is a serious danger. And then, then I might have a few choice words to encourage them to leave. Mm-hmm. But we try to maintain our standard at Northwest Battle Bays of always being professional and in public and very courteous. And sometimes it's very difficult to do that when you see blatant disrespect and fraud out there that is hurting the industry for people who truly need these animals. Well, it certainly helps that you're speaking out to educate the public, Shannon. So thank you very much. If some of our listeners want more information or would like to make a donation to Northwest Battle Buddies, what should they do? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, if you go to northwestbattlebuddies.org, it's all spelled out. They can donate online. Um, we are also found on Facebook. Anybody that appreciates their freedom, anybody that knows somebody that served, anybody that wants to give back, you know, they can contact us and bring their gifts and talents. I, it doesn't even matter where they're at in the United States because we are a nationwide organization. We serve all all veterans, you know, throughout the nation, and we are growing at an exponential rate. And so we are so appreciative of any and all help and people telling and and spreading the word, you know, that there is an organization out there that cares, that is trying to maintain a standard and be a part of the, you know, we're trying to be a part of the solution in many areas, not just for American heroes, but this industry of service dog industry and educating the public about emotional support animals and even therapy animals and what those definitions mean to help, you know, navigate this, you know, in, I'm also a member of the uh, association of service dog providers. And, and when we get together, it's like the service dog industry has kind of become like the wild west and trying to rein that in and not hurt the people who truly need it. But at the same time, also squelch the abuse of the system that is happening right now. And so I appreciate the opportunity to, to uh, introduce myself, you know, like you've given me this opportunity. Well, thank you, Shannon. It's such important work. 
So thank you so much for joining us. Again, I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town, and we've been speaking with Shannon Walker from Northwest Battle Buddies.